Thank you for tuning into Weathering the Storm podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. That's scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, our goal is to help us weather the storms of life by looking to and sustaining an unwavering faith in God. Here is your host, Drew Suttles. Hello and welcome to Weathering the Storm, a podcast where we strive to weather the storms of life by placing and sustaining an unwavering faith in God. I'm your host, Drew Suttles, and I welcome you back to Season 2 of Weathering the Storm on the Scattered Abroad Network. And today we're recording Episode 11. It's hard to believe we've come this far, but excited about this study today. We kicked off this season by examining how and why it's important to weather the storm with focus. And then we engaged in a study on weathering the storm with the fruit of the Spirit, how we can weather the storm with love, with joy, with peace. We went through the entire list, and last week we concluded by examining how we can weather the storm with self-control. But now we pick up the second half of season two that I mentioned to you in the opening episode. And with all of these episodes, we're going to have guests. And all these guests are from the Scattered Abroad Network. And we want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to go and check out the Scattered Abroad Network. Go and like us on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram. And to please pray for this effort as we are striving to spread the gospel to as many souls as possible. Uh, just very excited about this episode today in particular as we kick off the second half of this season with a guest. And our guest today is Michael Clark. Uh, Michael has, has been on this podcast before on Weathering the Storm. I appreciate the good work that he does. And I'm going to turn things over to him to let him talk about his podcast and what's going on with the Scattered Abroad Network. Well, Drew, I'm thankful to be on the, the podcast with you today. It's a great, great work that you're doing with Weathering the Storm, and we're glad that it's a part of the Scattered Abroad Network. And my podcast is the Far Better Podcast, and that's from Philippians one twenty three to be with the Lord is far better. And so we try to focus on pleasing God in this life so that our eternity can be far better. And we always seek to try to promote living for God today and making sure that God is our main and supreme focus. And so that when we move on to eternity, we'll be blessed and not cursed for the actions of our life. And so that's a, a podcast I've been doing for a few years now. We're in we're in currently season two on Scattered Abroad where we're talking about suffering. And so that's kind of an interesting subject matter. Of course, the first season I did was about my Crohn's disease and my life kind of going through that and uh, the wonderful blessing I have to be in remission. And so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great work that I'm privileged to be a part of with Scattered Abroad. And the work that we're doing at Scattered Abroad is is fantastic. I know at the time that we're recording this, we're getting close to approaching 15,000 downloads. And I don't know, I would hope that we're higher than that at this point when this episode airs. I know it's episode 11 of season uh, two, and so it's towards the end of the year. But we're we're grateful, grateful that we have the opportunity to work with Scattered Abroad to have the East Hill Church of Christ overseeing the work in Pulaski, Tennessee, and all of our hosts do excellent work. You know, from from every single show that we have every day of the week, there's just so much content that can be consumed, and it's just a wonderful blessing to do that. And we've even added new shows. Uh, we've added the show, uh, Did That Really Happen?, which is more of a funny show. We talk to preachers about kind of some crazy stories that have happened to them over the years, and 
We've added the show through their eyes where we sit down with somebody and kind of like what we're doing today, we talk to them about a specific subject and get it from their perspective of what they've read in the Bible and how they've been able to glean from the scriptures. And so there's just a whole lot that we've been privileged and blessed to do and a whole lot more we want to do. And so obviously we covet prayers as we continue to push through with this work. Absolutely right. And uh, it's, it is a blessing to be on Scattered Abroad and I'm excited to see what the Lord has in store for us uh, because we understand that he's the reason this thing's going as well as it is. That's right. Uh, we're, we're thankful to be able to spend time in his word. And uh, to our listeners today, we thank you for being with us. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. We appreciate you very much. Today, we want to discuss how we can weather the storm with humility. And I'd like to begin this episode, and I've done this uh, every episode this season. If you've been listening this year, you, you understand that I like to define terms. I like to begin by seeing where we're at. So, Michael, I want to turn things over to you and ask you, how would you define humility? I'm going to do it two ways. I'm going to first define what humility is not, and then I'm going to define how humility should be seen. And I, I want to do it with some quotes. We're big sports fans, you and I. And uh, when I wrote a right. manuscript on humility, I wrote into Google top top you know arrogant quotes from sports athletes and whatnot and this this article popped up and Roger Clemens was quoted from baseball as saying my only day off is when I pitch and he's talking about of course when I'm pitching man that's the easiest thing in the world that's the only day I'm not even working and Brett Hull who played hockey said do I catch flack because I'm so much smarter than everyone else I don't know and Mike Tyson said in a boxing ring basically that he would fight any man, any animal. If Jesus were here, I would fight him too. And you think about the arrogance that that takes to say you'd fight the Son of God. And Christian Ronaldo, who plays soccer, said, God sent me to earth to show people how to play soccer. And then finally, Chad Johnson, maybe you guys know him better as Ocho Cinco, uh, he said there's three things in life that's certain, death, taxes, and 85 will always be open. But my favorite one is Muhammad Ali was quoted as being on an airplane, and the stewardess came up to him and said, uh, you need to put your seatbelt on. And Muhammad Ali was told to put his seatbelt on, and he looks to her and says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess replies, Superman don't need no plane. And so you think about that from the arrogant remarks that are made in just one area of life, and that's the sporting world. And we see a lot of arrogance in sports. But humility, it's ultimately defined as a modest or low view of one's own importance or humbleness. And so it's an idea that I am not the... I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, so to speak. I'm, I don't have everything that the world has uh, to offer, and I'm just trying to get along and get by with what I've been given. Right. Well, and I, I like the way you approach that because I think understanding pride, uh, I read one writer that said it's easier to recognize than define. Yeah. I think that's true. Uh, you, can, you can see when somebody's filled with pride and arrogance, but you can also tell when there's someone who's genuinely humble humble. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and humility is so important, and it's certainly a biblical word. Uh, It's a biblical subject. And and so when we think about humility and weathering the storm, why do you think it's important to apply humility to our lives as we try to get through these difficult times? I think the, the interesting thing is it all comes back to Jesus. No matter what we do in life, everything comes back to Jesus. And this manuscript that I had to write that I just quoted from was on Jesus' teaching on humility. 
And I started to study about that, and I went to my co-preacher, Ryan, and I said, hey, this is the whole New Testament. And he says, no, it's just Jesus' teaching on humility. And I said, but Jesus said in John 14 through 16 that he was going to send a comforter, and that comforter would guide his apostles into all truth. And therefore, when I read any passage in the New Testament that's on humility, that's Jesus telling them what to say on humility. And so when we think about being taught by someone on how to weather the storms of life, who is a better example on doing that than Jesus? You know, an individual who was tempted in all points as man is tempted, dealt with everything that a man deals with, and yet was also God in the flesh and shows us how you can get through storms of life. And I think one of the the best examples is is not necessarily an idea of a spiritual storm, but an actual physical storm. You think about the time when Jesus was on the boat with his apostles, his disciples, and he said, we're going to cross over to the other side. And the wind and the sea was very, you know, treacherous. And they began to be afraid and say, Master, we're perishing and you don't care about us. And Jesus stands up and goes out and says, peace, be still. And the whole storm stops. And we usually just focus on the fact that Jesus has the command over the winds and the sea and all of these types of things. But Jesus had made a promise that they would pass to the other side, that they would make it from point A to point B. And his disciples neglected to remember that. And so if I want to make a modern day application as far as humility is realizing that life is not going to be fair. Life's not going to be easy. There are going to be storms of life. There are going to be things that come my way that really do harm my regular walk of life and maybe even my walk with Christ. And to act like I am the greatest Christian since sliced bread, to act like I'm the greatest individual that's ever existed when it comes to the faith is to deny the greatest individual that ever lived in Jesus. And Jesus shows us that the Son of God who in John 10 and verse 30 says, I and the Father are one, still had humility to kneel down and to wash his disciples' feet, to heal the infirmities of individuals that were sick. And he didn't have to do any of that, but he did. And importance of humility is to remember that when life gives you a temptation, it's a lot like James chapter one, you know, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations that the trying of your faith worketh patience or produces patience. And so when if I go into it with this attitude of I'm never going to stumble, I'm never going to have problems, I'm never going to have difficulties, we got a problem now because I'm not going to be able to handle those situations the way that God intends me to handle them. And in all honesty, I think one of the major problems we've had in in the world and even in the church, unfortunately, over the years, and sadly it happens a lot with preachers, is that lack of humility. It is that lack of understanding that I am not the greatest. And we've got preachers that unfortunately we've put on pedestals. And I'll say this because I know he would say the same thing if he was on the program. My dad's a great preacher. My dad's a wonderful preacher, and we love my dad. And and I, I love the preaching and teaching that he does, but Sometimes I have noticed, it seems, an almost unhealthy love for my father by brethren in the Lord's church because it's this attitude that B.J. Clark is so great. Well, B.J. Clark would tell you himself, I didn't die for your sins. I'm just trying to preach the gospel. And that humility that he has is so important because, unfortunately, sometimes people will talk about a minister who's done a lot of great work, and maybe that minister lets it get to his head 
and he stumbles because of all of the good work that he's done. And Satan cheers when that happens because not only has he tripped up a Christian, he's tripped up a minister that daily works and labors and tries to do all of these things to promote the gospel because of his pride. And so the storms of life are far-reaching. They go in all different directions and all different areas. And so we have to be ready to approach that with the mindset of, I need God to get through this, not myself. That's, that's it. And, I, and that's kind of what I had written down on this is it's important because if we're going to get through difficulties and we're going to weather the storm, we must have dependence on God. Mm-hmm. So those three words sum it up. Now, like you mentioned with that uh, the example of Jesus you know, on the boat, there's no way they could have stopped that storm themselves. Yeah. They had to have God do it. Uh, they had to depend on him to get through it. And so do we. And on that note about, you know, putting each other on a pedestal and things of that nature, I heard a great quote from Hiram Kemp. He said that the greatest thing that ever happened to the church of Christ is not me. It's not you. It's Jesus. That's right. And that's something to keep in mind uh, as we are to be humble like our Lord was. And certainly if we're going to weather the storms of life, we must apply humility. That's right. So as we think about this from a biblical standpoint, again, I want us to maybe share some examples with our listeners some examples that come to our minds of those specifically who had to apply humility in the midst of a storm. Who are some uh, examples that come to your mind? Probably humility in the eye of the storm would first and foremost be Daniel. You know, Daniel is an individual that was in a far country away from his home and was not where he had grown up, was in a very difficult situation. And yet the very first chapter, Daniel says, we're not going to do the diet that the king wants us to do. And yet he shows humility when he asks, he says, would you be okay? And I'm paraphrasing here, but would you be okay with us having a contest? And whoever, you know, looks better after the set days, that's the diet that we can do. He didn't have to ask and he didn't have to ask on behalf of God. He could have done what many people would do and say, I got to think of myself. I got to take care of my own life right now. I'm in, I'm in captivity. But instead, he says in, in a humble way to the point where the, the Lord's diet was accepted by the Babylonians. That's the first real thing about Daniel. The second thing is in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 3, Daniel 4, 5, and even 6, where we talk more about the, the half of Daniel's life that we always focus on. We really stop preaching Daniel after chapter 6, it seems. <laughs> but with those things, Daniel always showed humility and reverence to the king, though he was a sinful man. He's, he always called him O King, and he always treated him with respect and humility. He never acted like he was the greatest individual in the kingdom, though that's where God placed him. And in fact, in chapter six, we're told that after Belteshazzar and all and Belshazzar, I should say, had been taken and the Medo Persians had come in, Daniel was put from third in the kingdom to second in command in just the span of one night. And so Daniel never sought that, but God put him there. And I, I think about the idea of weathering a storm, that from the Old Testament is a, is a really good example. And we'll tie into the next question here in a moment. But I, I want to think New Testament too, and I want to point out the the Pharisee and the publican. I think that's a really great example of what not to do when you're dealing with storms in life and what, how you're not supposed to behave because In Luke 18, Jesus expounded on this idea of humility in our prayer, and he spoke this parable that had two men going up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a publican, and the the Pharisee had this mentality that, 
I'm so much better than everybody else in the world. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And perhaps we've heard the phrase, you can be right and still be wrong. And this Pharisee was doing things the right way, but he wasn't at the same time. And so his attitude wasn't correct. And yet this publican, standing afar off, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. Evidently, he felt that his sin was such a bad thing about himself that he couldn't even bear to look up to heaven. It almost comes across like he was worried that if he looked up to heaven, God would be looking right back at him. And he couldn't bear to even try to look up to heaven because he didn't feel worthy. And he beats on his chest and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the man that went home justified. When we're dealing with sin, that's a storm of life. And we're given an opportunity on how to react and how to handle that. And this individual was one that said, God, I'm going to do it the right way. And then the final one I would say is obviously from a preaching perspective, since we're both ministers, there's got to be humility in preaching like Jesus had with the storms of life. We're being pressured more and more on a regular basis to compromise and to not preach the truth. And we don't need to preach the truth in a haughty and arrogant way, but Jesus came to the earth and he shows us a couple of things. He didn't come to be a prominent ruler on earth, John 6, 11 through 15, uh, and John 18, 36. He didn't preach to become the sole focus over God, John 5, 19, 30, John 6, 38, John 7, 16, 8, 28, and verse 42. And he always pushed importance back to the Father. And yet Jesus often gave us hard sayings to hear. I think about John chapter 6, where he made a statement, and in verse 60, many people walked away, and they, they, they left the Lord. And J- Jesus was turning to his disciples and says, are you also going to go away? And they say, no, we're not going to go away. Where would we go? And so that's, that's really the importance of the biblical examples of weathering the storm. Preaching, you have to do it. If you're in a foreign land as far as captivity or sin or whatever it is, you have to always handle that with humility. That's right. And those are great examples. And we could, we could spend a whole episode talking about examples from both the Old and New Testament. Right. Uh, and some that came to my mind, and I don't know why I did this, but when I started writing down some examples, my mind went to Kings. I thought about King Ahab, 1 Kings 21, 29, Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 32, 24 through 26. Uh, maybe this one's on the back burner, but I think about Manasseh. We yeah. talk about Manasseh and his pride and that he shed all that blood. But the Chronicles account suggests that, that he humbled himself. Mm-hmm. Second Chronicles 33, 10 through 13. And the next example is that of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. And the more I study about him, the more I kind of have a, a respect for him uh, because he was such a great, powerful leader. And he was full of pride. Mm-hmm. But God showed him in a very drastic way, which we'll discuss in a moment, uh, that, that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. Right. And he would be humbled by that. And I, and I think that changed the, his perspective and maybe helped him moving forward. So as we think about Nebuchadnezzar, let's focus on him for a moment. And what are some lessons we can learn from his experience of being in a lofty position and then being humbled by God? Yeah, Daniel chapter four, if you use Esword, they give you chapter divisions in, in each chapter as far as the sections of the chapter go. And I find it funny that chapter four starts with it saying that Nebuchadnezzar praises God. And verses one through three, that's exactly what he does. He says, to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me. 
He's realizing and he's saying, God did this. I didn't do it. How great are his signs? How mighty his wonders? His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And then he has this dream, a second dream, and Daniel interprets it. And then verse 28, we're told in this chapter division, as far as the section goes, it's called Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation. And you're, you got to ask the question, what happened between chapter 4 and verse 1 to verse 28? And it happens where all that happened in the dream came upon Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he's walking about the royal palace of Babylon. And he says in verse 30, is not this the great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling for my mighty, by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was still in the king's mouth, almost as he's finishing the thought, a voice falls from heaven and says, you've just lost your kingdom. Your kingdom is gone. And he's driven out as a wild beast. And he had his nails driven out like claws of a bird and his had his hair grown like eagle's feathers. And he spent his days eating grass like an oxen, body being wet with the heaven till his hair had grown. And you think about the image that must have been. I don't know. I, I have a I have a sense of humor on this kind of stuff sometimes. But you ever think somebody wa- looked out there and said, "Oh, there goes Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> just running out in the field eating grass like a like a wild ox," and you see him as this wild beast? And to think about how comical that must have seemed to the people that this great man, because of God's power, is now roaming around. And yet, verse thirty four tells us that Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes to heaven. And his understanding returned to him, and he blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And he he goes all the way down here in verse 37 is where I'll close it. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. It sounds like Nebuchadnezzar had experience with that, you know? that he had some experience with that pride being put right back in his place. And I wish in all honesty that God would still sometimes drive our leaders out into the beasts of the field (laughs) with that mentality to try to bring their pride down because that's a major problem with our leaders in our country today and even in the world. But Nebuchadnezzar, I'd never thought about it like you said, but we, we spend too much time talking about what happened to him and not about how he responded to it. Right. And and really, he's just one example of many. But think about all that the, the Proverbs writer has to say about pride. It's found, the word pride is found seven times in the book of Proverbs alone. And one of the most famous ones, of course, is Proverbs 16 and 18, that pride goes before destruction and a Holy Spirit before a fall. You apply that to Nebuchadnezzar, and it lines up perfectly. That's right. But also what Jesus said about it. Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Mm-hmm. So I think those two passages together, and you think about Nebuchadnezzar, it lies in, you know, it fits perfect. That's right. But you think about the storms that he must have faced. Think about facing the storm of pride, of course, Daniel 3, but maybe the storm of the pressure of being in such a lofty position and all the responsibilities that came with that, uh, the storms of uh, constant threat of enemies coming, the storm of humiliation. I mean, he really, Nebuchadnezzar had to go through a lot of storms, but he brought this on himself because of his pride. And so I think that's an example for us today. As we go through difficult times and maybe we question what's going on, we need to have enough humility to say, you know what? God's going to work this out for my ultimate good, Romans eight twenty eight, 
And I just need to trust him because he's the one who can help me get through this storm. That's right. Absolutely. Well, as we close, I'd like to go to the New Testament. And there's a passage in James chapter 4. I'd like to read this and, and get your thoughts on it. Uh, it's interesting what James says about humility. And, and you know, really, you can open up the book of James and see it right off the bat. James was a half-brother of our Lord, and yet he doesn't refer to himself as a brother. He says, James, the servant of the Lord. I think that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Jude. You know, Jude doesn't say, hey, I'm the brother of Jesus. He says, no, I'm the, I'm the servant of the Lord. Mm-hmm. It shows their humility. But James will say this, James chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 6. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. As you read that text, and as we think about weathering the storm, what jumps out to you? I find it interesting that he he comes out and calls humility righteous and pride sinful. And he uses an illustration that doesn't mean a lot to us in our current world because we don't do this typically, and, and some places do, but the Lord's church I have not found to be doing this on a regular basis, which is cleanse your hands, you sinners. I know we spent a lot of 2020 talking about cleanliness and washing our hands and all of those kinds of things. And that, obviously that, that was one of the most puzzling things about the pandemic. Did we not know that washing our hands was a good practice? And uh, yet at the same time, when we go back to this mindset where they were given this letter, they had kind of a custom back then where they would present their hands before a master or present their hands, so to speak, for clean inspection, you know, see if your hands are clean and if they're dirty and needing to be purified. And James says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And it's almost as if he's saying, one day you will go before God and you'll have to hold your hands up and you'll have to present them for inspection. And if God finds that your hands aren't pure, that they're not clean, you'll be rejected. It's kind of like we both have children, and you've probably told your son at times, hey, buddy, go wash your hands. It's time for dinner. And he goes, and maybe he doesn't wash his hands, and you say, okay, did you wash your hands? And he says, yes, I did. And you say, show me your hands. And all of a sudden, either he is bold enough to try and say, okay, I'll show you my hands, Dad. And he shows you the hands, and you can clearly see the dirt. But sometimes we'll see our children when we say that, and they'll go, I think I'm going to go wash them again, Dad. Okay, buddy, you go wash your hands, yeah. and you come back in here. God is going to inspect not not our physical hands, but he's going to inspect the cleanliness of our lives, and humility will make us clean. It's one of those things that will make us pure, and the devil wants us. He's coming after us, and he's going to do everything he can to get us. But resisting him is funny because I never knew, never noticed this, I should say, till right about now. God resists the proud, and then the very next thing he says is resist the devil. That's interesting. The devil is full of pride, and he wants to have everybody, and he thinks that he'll get everybody. If you were to ask the devil, will everybody come your way, I think he'd be arrogant enough to say, absolutely. Absolutely, they're coming my way. The only day off is when I pitch. The only day off is, you know, I think he'd go on and on, much like we've seen, and yet God says, you resist the proud like I do. 
and you be humble and you draw near to God and I'll draw near to you. And if you do that and you humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, I'll lift you up. I'll take care of you. I'll protect you. And you need to promote this mindset of humility. But just quickly, I'll touch on verses 13 through 17. I won't read them, but this is where they go on a little bit deeper, even into humility, into arrogance and pride, where he talks about them saying, you listen here, those of you that say, we will go tomorrow. We will do such and such. This is going to happen, and we're going to make a profit. And he says, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your life's a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. So stop saying that. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, I don't get to do anything in life unless God allows me to live long enough to do it. And that's something that we need to realize is it goes all the way back to verses 7 through 10. Put your faith and trust in God. Humble yourselves. Let God take care of the rest. And don't boast in your arrogance. Verse 16, all such boasting is evil. Humility is the most important thing that we need back in our lives right now in the church, in the home, in the world. And if we can get humility back, I think a lot of good things will follow it. Amen. Uh, My mind went to Psalm 46 there as you were talking. And to be still and know that God is in control. And then God says, I will be exalted. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to be filling the blank, if you want your name beside that, then you must be humble. That's right. Uh, Brother Moser I remember a quote he told us in James' class that the way up in Christianity is down, and that really stuck with me. And I think that's exactly right. That's what you have in James four ten. Mm-hmm. But I think that's something that that jumps out to us in that text. Really, you know, God is looking for those who are humble. And there's one word here in this context that really jumps out to me, and it's the word submit. You think about one of the greatest texts in all the New Testament on submitting to God is Philippians two five and following, and that's what Jesus. He humbled himself, but what is also in that context, he submitted to God. Mm-hmm. He did always the will of his father, John 8, 29. He, he knew it was going to cost everything, but he was willing to do it. What, what, what was it that was the driving force? Well, it was doing the will of his father, but it was that humility. And I think it's interesting. The Holy Spirit adds this. He humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross, to point out he was willing to do even that. Mm-hmm. And we have got to have that kind of humility if we want to be right in the sight of God, and really, if we want to weather the storms of life, we've got to apply humility to our hearts and our lives. That's right. And, you know, if you think about it, Jesus spent so much time trying to promote the gospel, and he preached for three years. And while he became well-known, it didn't result with him being put on a lecture circuit. It didn't result with him being well-renowned as a great gospel preacher. He was given a cross as his end result. And so one of the things we understand is when we try to preach and teach Jesus and give people all that we possibly can, doing it with humility might still mean we struggle, might still mean we have some hardship come our way. But Jesus shows us that no matter what we do, we need to be humble first. Amen. That's exactly right. And I would like to kind of bring this up and wrap it up in a statement that we find in John 3 and verse 30. John the Immerser made this statement. He said, I must decrease, but he must increase. And I think sharing that with our audience today will hopefully kind of sum up what we've discussed. If you want to be successful in weathering the storms of life, if you want to be pleasing in the eyes of God, have that same mentality. You know what? I must decrease. He must increase. That's right. So, Michael, I appreciate 
uh, your time today. appreciate your study. I appreciate you being on here with me. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.